0: Well, good morning, everybody. It's the sixth day of January, two thousand and twenty-one. Welcome to a Wednesday morning wake-up call here on Sports Country Radio. Appreciate your time this morning. Lots to get to. Uh, great college basketball game last night. Uh, University of Connecticut in one of the best uh, regular season games I can remember in a while. So it was. Uh, it was fun. We'll talk about that. We've got football news. Um, Some of the COVID news, which is everywhere, so we'll uh, get to all that in just a bit. Um, Start off the show this morning, though, just everybody is uh, kind of holding their breath, wondering what was going to go on with those two Senate races in Georgia, and one of them has been won by a Democrat, uh, Raphael Warnock, uh, appears to have defeated Kelly Loeffler last night, and uh, by... A, a big enough margin where uh, people were making the call this morning that that one is over. And now we will wait to see what happens with the uh, race between the Republican incumbent, David Perdue and the Democrat, uh, Democrat, John Ossoff. Uh, Ossoff actually leading uh, right now, but they're still calling it to uh, saying it's too close to call. But uh, look, you know, as uh, someone who is a Republican and I am, uh, you know, but a Republican that is anti-Trump, did not vote for Trump, will never vote for Trump. And, You know, uh, I'm glad that the crazy train administration is just about over. Um, This will give the Democrats, if they win the other seat, uh, essentially control of both the House and the Senate. And look, you know, if things are going to get done in this country, you need to. We've seen that over the last four years with the deeply divided House and the deeply divided Senate. Nothing got done in this country. It was like pulling teeth. And whether you are on the right or whether you are on the left, uh, having one party in control of both houses as well as the presidency, uh, you know, if we've got any chance of getting anything done, whether you agree with the direction we're moving or not, at least something, something has the, you know, the potential to get done. So we'll see. Uh, But one other interesting note before we get to sports, you know, uh, Warnock, who is a, a preacher in Georgia, becomes obviously the first black senator from the state of Georgia. Um, for uh, since John Lewis and John Lewis, uh, Raphael Warnock was his pastor. How about that? And John Ossoff, who was running on the other side, was actually John Lewis's intern. So pretty cool. Pretty cool. Uh, you know he uh, he is the uh, pastor at the church where Martin Luther King Jr. preached. Um, uh, so pretty cool. Uh, and Loeffler, by the way, who loses she she had she owns the uh, WNBA team in Atlanta. Her own team was campaigning against her. <laughs> that's pretty funny. It's pretty funny. So uh, anyway, that's the uh, the deal with that. All right, let's get to uh, to sports because that's what you're all here for. Um, the UConn men last night for the first twenty minutes of the game looked like they were in. Big trouble. And this is a game yesterday, I said, you know, when you looked at the numbers and you looked uh, at what these teams had, you, I felt that this was going to be a game that UConn should win. You know, it wasn't going to, I didn't think it was going to be an easy win, but it was a game I felt they should win. Well, they got down by 18 last night. They were, I mean, they could not hit anything. And then... You know, Tyler—not uh, Tyler, probably. Uh, uh, Booknight gets hurt. James Booknight gets hurt. Their leading scorer, a guy who has scored like sixty points in UConn's first four games, has a opponent, uh, Kobe McEwen, dives onto his arm and hyper extends his left elbow. I mean, when you watch it in slow motion, I'm like, ah, you know, it was one of those cringeworthy replays where you're going, oh, how is that not broken? You know, Book Knight's diving for a loose ball. McEwen's doing the same thing, and he landed on Booknight's elbow. And Booknight, from that point on, there was about three minutes to go in the first half when that happened. And obviously, Booknight left the game, and he was not the same player the rest of the night. He ended up shooting three for 12 in this game and basically, you know, he came out in the second half with that arm wrapped up, but he wasn't the same player. He was more of a decoy. Now, he could still play defense, and he played pretty good defense last night. But UConn needed other players to step up because this is James Booknight's team, and uh, getting consistent offense from other players has been an issue. Well, last night, in the second half, UConn got some outstanding play from a couple of seniors. They come back. They end up from from 18 down. They end up winning this game by 11. What a turnaround. Tyler Polly, senior, kid who tore up his knee last year. If you remember, he had that, that horrific ACL injury in January. And, you know, he... Rehabbed that thing all summer, and he had a career high last night. 23 points. All 23 points, folks, came in the last 15 minutes of this game. The kid literally just took the game over. On top of that, you have Isaiah Whaley who has struggled. Danny Hurley called him out uh, publicly and said, look, you know, that he had to play his A game. Well, last night 15 points, 13 rebounds. They out-rebounded Marquette, a bigger Marquette team out-rebounded them last night 42 to 28. And UConn goes to 5 and 1 with that victory last night. They're 2 and 1 in the Big East, Marquette 6 and 6, now 2 and 4 in conference play. And you think about that, UConn was a couple of free throws away from being undefeated. They took a Creighton team who was in the AP top 10 into overtime and had a chance to win that game with a couple of seconds on the clock, and if they make a a couple of free throws, they win the game. It doesn't go to overtime. So, you know, that's that's how this UConn team is scary. You know, a lot of people have said Danny Hurley was going to get this team better and they were going to, you know, make some noise in the Big East. I'll tell you what, I can guarantee you that there isn't a coach in the Big East that is uh, uh, feeling comfortable when they have to play this UConn team. And think about this. You know, their defense has been really good. You know, despite the fact they got down 18 last night, a lot of the problems last night were offensive. I think they were 10 for their first 30 from the field. Their defense wasn't the problem. I mean, they were, they were, you know, busting their rear ends and some of the shots that Marquette were making last night was ridiculous. I mean, there was, I think, two or three times in the first half where UConn got the uh, Marquette to use almost the entire shot clock to the point where Marquette had to throw up a desperation shot and they went in. It was just one of those halves. But, man, in the second half when the offense got going, they continued to play great defense. And they went on a seventeen to four run without Booknight. Booknight, you know, again, he was the invisible man in the second half. But Tyler Polly was ridiculous. Polly, by the way, five of eight from three. So, what a win! I, I mean, I it's it's right up there with one of the best wins I have seen from this UConn team in the regular season in a long long time. Booknight, 40 points, or 60 points, I'm sorry, in his first two conference games. Last night he had six, and uh, the UConn wins the game anyway, and that's what this team needs. Booknight is a special player. Booknight is a kid that will play in the NBA. We all know that, but we also know that, you know, UConn needs other players to participate, and last night when Booknight was injured, they stepped up, and that is a great sign for this UConn team. Great sign. Now, they still have a couple of games left on this road trip. Well, they, they're they back in UConn uh, after the game last night. They came back to stores, but they've got uh, games, I believe it's on uh, Friday and, or Saturday and Monday on the road. And it's going to be, you know, be a big test, and this was a big test for UConn last night simply because it was their first real uh, road game, and uh, mission accomplished. I mean, honest to goodness, that was a great win last night. Uh, So on the women's side, as we have gotten so used to hearing about this season, there was supposed to be a huge game on Thursday night, UConn at number three, Baylor at number six, everybody, that was the game of the week. Well, the game of the week is not going to happen. Why is that, you ask? Because Baylor has COVID 19 issues. Um, and who was it? Kim Mulkey, the head coach, tested positive for the coronavirus. Um, the, uh, a lot of the medical experts were telling folks, you know, you got to be careful at Christmas, yada, yada, yada. Well, Kim Mulkey I, I've had a family gathering. And look, I'm not, you know, who knows what the deal was, but she said that during a Christmas gathering, she was exposed to somebody in the family that had the virus. She self-quarantined, did not return to activities following a holiday break. And... Uh, missed their game on Saturday at TCU, said she tested negative three times, re- rejoined the team on Monday, and test positive. So now she has to isolate again. If she remains asymptomatic, she can come back on the 15th. So she she's going to be out 10 days. And be just because of that, they want to make sure that you know, since she was with the team on Monday, there is the potential that other players could have been um, exposed and wanted to be safe, you know, and I can't blame it. I feel bad for UConn. This is the fourth non-conference game that UConn's had canceled. You know, Gino ariama joked yesterday, uh, you know, because the media was asking, well, is, you know, can, can you get somebody else to play? And, you know, he said, look, you know, um, on just short notice, probably not. I mean, uh, they were supposed to play Louisville earlier in the season, and Louisville's struggling to get games as well. They've been trying to find a slot to play in, but being able to figure it out on such short notice to be able to play on Thursday with all the, you know, the protocols that have to be followed, et cetera, is not really realistic. So Gino Oriyama is joking with the media, hey, uh, how about if we just play you guys? He's. <laughs> You know, uh, and that's that's kind of that's kind of where they're at. I mean, you know, and it's it, they are not going to have the number of non-conference games that the NCA wanted all the teams to have, so that they can help uh, as an evaluation tool for the selection committee when it comes time for the tournament. But look, at the end of the day, it's not going to matter for UConn. You know, UConn is going to do what UConn does in the Big East. They're going to go undefeated. You know, and and if it means that they end up a, a two seed instead of a one seed, you know, whatever. You know, at the end of the day, you, you have to follow the same path. And, and, and it's likely that all the games in the women's tournament are going to be just like the men's tournament. They're going to be at some kind of a central site, whether it's, you know, with the men are using all of Indiana, like five or six sites around the state of Indiana. There's been talk that the women's tournament might be in Texas at a bunch of different sites. So if you're a one seat or a two seat, it really doesn't matter. There's not going to be a home court advantage. You know, there's no, you know in the early rounds where you you know a lot of times you're playing in your home area. That's not going to happen for UConn because the tournament's just going to be at a central site. So it doesn't really matter. It's just a shame. You know, you feel bad for the kids. I mean, they've been sitting now since the 29th of December. They do have a game scheduled against Providence now on Saturday, so that is the next chance that they will have to play. And you know, unless some kind of hail mary comes in and somebody says, "Hey, let's you know, let's play," but I don't think that's likely. Um, one other thing that did happen in college basketball in New England yesterday: a game between Holy Cross and Boston University. It became, as far as we know, the first game where both teams had to wear masks. So Holy Cross won the game. It was at BU. Holy Cross wins at 68-66, and everybody wore masks, not just people sitting on the bench, not just the coaches. The the men in the game had to wear masks on both sides. Now, on Monday, BU played a game at Holy Cross, and BU wore masks, but Holy Cross did not. Now, this time when they played in the rematch, they decided that uh, both teams were going to wear them. Uh, You know, and I don't know whether this is going to become uh, a standard thing or not, but it's not a bad idea. We've seen it happen in high schools, and, uh, you know, why not? If If it gives us a better chance to get the season in, then why not? You know, I, I don't know, frankly, how you do it, you know, and there's been all kinds of studies about, yeah, you don't lose oxygen saturation or anything like that. It's, you know, it's it's more of a mental thing than anything. There's nothing wrong with wearing a mask. You're not going to suffocate. But I just can't imagine doing it. You know, it's, it'd be strange. But we've seen it. We've seen it in high school. We've seen it in not in basketball. We've seen it in hockey. I mean, so it can work. And so Holy Cross and BU did that yesterday. Kind of cool. You know, I mean, that's those are two teams that are just trying to find a way to make it happen. And speaking of trying to find a way to make it happen, here in the state of Connecticut, the CIAC, the uh, governing body for high school sports, met with the Department of Public Health. Um, and they are going to meet again on Monday to discuss whether there will be a high school winter sports season here in the state of Connecticut. I don't understand why we are having this conversation when we still have entire school districts that are doing remote learning. The city of New Haven has been on remote learning all year. Now they're going to go back to some kind of a hybrid model, at least for some students, I think starting next week. But, you know, we have a a positive test rate here in the state now of seven and a half percent. The numbers are going you know up around the country you know i i understand how we want to you know we won't we don't want to take anything away from our kids and i feel like you know uh, an idiot saying this over and over and over again um but you know look if it's the worst thing that ever happens in these kids lives that they can't play their winter sports season they'll get over it you know, and uh, but look, we're trying to keep everybody safe. And, and I don't think it's, it, you know, I mean, they're actually talking about that wrestling has been sanctioned by the, a high risk sport. The CIC thinks they can have wrestling. Really? I mean, you can't even I mean, talk about close contact. Jesus, that's closer than football. Uh, and you can't wrestle with a mask on because it's not going to stay on. What are you going to do? Stop it every 15 seconds when somebody's mask comes off, when you're, you know, groping each other. No. Uh, You know, I suppose you could maybe do it with basketball and hockey if you want to make them wear masks, but why? Why? You know, I I get it. I mean, you know, for the seniors, oh, my God, the seniors, and they, oh, they lost their junior year. Look, stuff happens, and, you know, look, this is not the last time this is going to happen in their lifetime. Unfortunately, with the world being the way it is now, you know, this is not the last pandemic we're going to see. And there are times that we're just going to have to make sacrifices for the, good of the, the, for the good of the whole. And this is one of those cases, so I, I, I don't understand the conversation. And if the Department of Public Health and the governor sign off on that, uh, I'm going to be very, very disappointed. Uh, one other quick note before we go to a break. Uh, there has been some uh, rumors that there is a possibility that the college football championship game is going to be delayed. Supposedly, Ohio State... Uh, has some COVID nineteen issues again. Ohio State has had COVID nineteen issues all year, um, and uh, but according to Bill Hancock, who is the executive director of the uh, College Football Playoff, he's as far as he knows, you know, the game's still to go for Monday night. Um, the athletic directors from both schools have been in contact, you know, and we don't even really know exactly what it is. This is just rumors that have been floating out, and Nick Saban's daughter the alabama coach's daughter uh, uh sent out a tweet yesterday that she later deleted basically saying that uh, the rumors of ohio state with coronavirus virus issues were bs that they were just trying to stall for time to give their quarterback more time to get better you know and she she basically called them liars <laughs> she she since deleted that i'm sure that was not a pleasant conversation uh with her father uh but there is a January eighteenth potential makeup date if necessary. Uh, look, Ohio State got a break to get even get into the playoffs. You know they they were in a conference that wasn't even going to play, and then they made a break. You know and and allowed them into the conference playoffs with only six games when they were supposed to have had seven. You know, and then they beat up on Clemson. So I mean, obviously Ohio State's a good football team. I'm not trying to say they don't belong there, but at some point, you know at some point you're just going to have to say hey sorry you know let's you know let's let's just play you know and i don't know whether it's bs or not and there was all that conversation around michigan remember when michigan was uh, begged out of the ohio state game and people were just saying well at least they just didn't want to get to get that to get the crap beat out of them again you know that if they were a 7 and 0 football team and getting ready to play ohio state they would have played you know i mean who knows you know, uh, you hate to think that coaches and administrations would use something like this as an excuse, but they do. And so it's possible. But uh, as of right now, the game is still on. So, uh, you know, stay tuned. 28 minutes after the hour, we got to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake-Up Call on Sports Country. It's 30 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake-Up Call. You know, I just wanted to take a second. Uh, there was a great story this morning on the Today Show. Um, about barstool sports and uh, what they're doing to help restaurants around the country it is great and 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 I um, I had a little exchange this morning and it's not and not a bad one uh, on Twitter um you know about about barstool sports and let me say this barstool sports is not my cup of tea you know it's uh you know, it's not just sports, there's comedy, it's very irreverent. Uh, they do a lot of different things. You know, there's comedy, there's, you know, there's there's all, you know, there's fashion, there's, you know, they, they delve into pop culture, everything. Uh, but it's also geared towards people much younger than I am. I'm 60 years old, it's not my thing. You know, which is fine. You know, and somebody said to me this morning. He said, "Well, you know, there's there's a lot going in at Barstool. It's like walking into a grocery store at the bakery section, saying you don't like the baked goods, therefore you dislike the market. That's not true, because you know, for me, I've sampled a lot of the different things that they do. You know, and and, and again, it's not. Uh, there's no. There's no nothing against what they do. You know that it has a market, it has a following, uh, but what I am very impressed with Dave Portnoy is a guy that is the founder and CEO of Barstool Sports and with the struggling restaurants that came around you know he went on one of his rants that he does every now and then talking about how we need to help you know what's going on why isn't the government doing what they should do why are they letting all these you know restaurants struggle and somebody challenged him and said hey you know put your money where your mouth is so he did he put up five hundred thousand dollars of his own money Um, and he then, um, talked about it and a lot of the barstool followers, including some big time celebrities like Tom Brady and Guy Fieri and some other people put up money. They now have over $18 million in a fund to help restaurants through this. And they are, you know, people, restaurant owners were sending in videos of, you know, how tough it's been for them. And, you know, and one of the prerequisites is you have to have stayed open, you have to be, have been successful, and you have to still be trying to pay your employees through this whole thing. And they showed some of the reactions of, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, restaurant owners when Dave would call them up on a video call and tell them that, you know, they had been awarded some money. And, uh, and what Dave said was, is that it's not just a one-time gift that they're going to follow them through this whole thing. They've got $18 million. He said, look, and they've helped, I think, 78 or 79 restaurants at this point. And he said, you know, we're going we're to you know, have a math problem at some point because they're trying to st- help everybody, you know, through the, or help the people that they've picked out through this whole thing, but they've got 18 million bucks in there and the money is still rolling in. What a great thing. Whether I whether you like barstool or not, and there's a lot of people that do, and there are pro- a lot of people like me that don't, which is fine. But but what uh, Dave Portnoy ha- has done is remarkable. Uh, if you haven't seen it, the Today Show ran it this morning. I'm sure they'll have it online. Uh, Harry Smith did the report, but it was really good. It was really good, and you know, and it's it's a shame in our country that we have to have a private company doing things that we couldn't get our government to do, which is one of the reasons why I opened the show this morning, talking about how Raphael Warnock won that election down in Georgia. And if the second one goes for the Democrats as well, that then you have democratic control of both the house and the Senate, and maybe something will get done because with this whole coronavirus thing, it's been, you know, Butting heads, and we can't get anything done. And yet Barstool is helping people on the ground the way our government should have been. So good for them. Good for them. And, you know, uh, whether again, whether you like them or not, you know, and and I'm not a fan, and that's fine. But I am a fan of Dave Portnoy's. I'll tell you that. You know, he uh, and and some of the stuff Dave Portnoy does, he does this pizza challenge where you go to a, a city and you go to a particular pizza place and you can only take one bite, you know, and then you have to, you know, judge the pizza based on one bite. It's a weird kind of thing that he does, but it's kind of cool. And he's done it in, you know, many places all over New England. It's, it's, it's fun. Uh, but outside of that, I'm just not a huge, you know, there's a couple of people that uh, there's a couple of people that I just think are out of control. But be that as it may, uh, good for Barstool. Uh, we've been talking about this for the last couple of days. Why? Because it's interesting and because it's just disgusting at the same time. And that is the game between uh, Washington and Philadelphia, with the whole uh, you know Doug Peterson, the head coach, throwing in their third string quarterback in a close game and basically screwing his team out of any chance to win this game. Well, more and more reports keep coming out, and it was one this morning. That ran in the Hartford Current, but it was written by Jeff McClain, who is a reporter for the Philadelphia Inquirer, a guy who is a beat writer for the Eagles, a guy who knows these players, who talks to these players all the time, and a lot of them have opened up. And it turns out that there was damn near a mutiny on the sidelines on Sunday. Uh, Two defensive players had to be held back from going after their head coach when he did this. Now, their center, Jason Kelsey, and another offensive starter actually went to the coach to ask him why he had pulled their starting quarterback in a three-point game. Jalen Hurts was pissed. You know, and if you saw it, in the NBC broadcast, they actually, uh, and I didn't see this, I I read it in the story this morning, NBC actually captured Jalen Hurts on the sidelines saying, or what appeared to be saying, that's not right. And after the game, when, you know, he was asked about it, he said, "As a competitor I play to win? He says, you have to trust Peterson's plan. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, and then Doug Peterson did not help himself. You know, all along he had said that, His plan had always been to get Sudfield in the game because he had been there for a while and he deserved to get some reps. Well, now all of a sudden he starts backtracking and it's not just about, well, I wanted to get him some snaps. It was about we were struggling to move the ball. You know, he said defensively they kept us in the game with a couple of takeaways late and my plan was to get Nate in the game. But he, kept in, but he backtracked and said, well, it wasn't just that. It was just, you know, Hurts wasn't moving the ball. And I said that before. I mean, obviously, you look at his numbers, and they weren't good. But when you have players on your team that are ready to go after your coach, <laughs> that's a problem. And, you know, this reporter, uh, Jeff McClain, actually talked to some people in the Eagles front office and nobody seems to know what was behind it. It's a mystery. They, you know, whether, whether it was strictly Peterson's decision or whether he was under orders from Jeffrey Lurie or their, or their general manager, Howie Roseman, whether, whether they were under orders to uh, throw that game, for lack of a better way of putting it, and improve their draft position from 9 to 6. We'll, we we will probably never know and I'm still waiting to hear some kind of comment from the NFL. There has not been a peep. And again, for a for a league that is worried about the integrity of the game as they have, you know, crowed about so many times when it came to things that, uh, you know, happens in New England. This was an egregious thing and we have heard not one word from the NFL. Not A word. Uh, Other Eagles news. Everybody is waiting to hear what is going to happen with Carson Wentz, Uh, the quarterback who had been benched. Look, Carson Wentz is a guy, and if you're the Eagles, you know, here's the thing. You have now hitched your wagon, I guess, to Jalen Hurts because I don't know how you come back from this as far as your relationship with Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz is a guy the Eagles traded up twice, twice in the 2016 draft to get Carson Wentz with the number two overall pick. Think about that for a minute. You traded up twice four years ago to get this guy in the NFL draft. He starts all 16 games as a rookie, finishes third in the NL MVP voting in 2017. Now, that year, he tore his knee up in Week 14, and Nick Foles ended up leading them to the uh, Super Bowl. You know, And then Wentz gets hurt again in 2018 with a back injury, and Foles comes to the rescue again, and the Eagles win one game in the playoffs before losing. But, you know, they won the NFC East last year with Wentz starting every game. Think about that. And now you bench this guy. You don't even dress him for your last game. So Wentz has not officially asked for a trade. He said he wants to take some time away to figure out, you know, what he wants to do. But if you're the Eagles, I don't know how you come back from this. And here's the problem. This guy signed a huge contract. If they trade him, they take a cap hit now. If they trade them before the middle of March, they take a cap hit of thirty three point eight million dollars for next year. If they wait till after that date, it goes up to forty three point eight million dollars. Now the only difference is, is that it's split over two years. So you know, uh, I, I just, I just don't know what the Eagles are going to do. You you sacrificed a lot made trades to get this guy as the number two overall pick. And now you you let him go. I just, you know, they have to trade him. They have to. And, you know, I don't know where he goes. I mean, obviously, as we've said, New England would be, you know, New England would probably love to get him. Uh, Indianapolis, you know, they've got a 39-year-old Phillip Rivers. Now, Rivers just led him to the playoffs, but how long do you go with a 39-year-old quarterback? If you're the New Orleans Saints – You've got a 40 year old quarterback in Drew Brees. There's a lot of. If you're Jack, well, not Jacksonville, because they're going to draft Trevor Lawrence. Uh, If you are the Miami Dolphins, and yeah, you drafted Tua, but he looks like he might be a train wreck. You know, there's another place that you could use a quarterback. You know, there are plenty of places where uh, plenty of teams that would love to get their hands on him. So it'll be interesting to see how that gets repaired. I'm not sure it can be. Um, This is, you know, and I don't know what the NFL is going to do here, but as of right now, the Cleveland Browns are going to be without their head coach and at least two players for their playoff game against Pittsburgh. How about that? You make the playoffs for the first time in forever, 18 years between playoff appearances, and now your head coach won't be there. And your Pro Bowl guard, Joe uh, Betonio, also will not be there. One of their receivers is on the COVID list. Uh, a couple more coaching staff members. Uh, you know They already had six players and three assistants on the COVID list, and now their head coach and a Pro Bowler are going to it as well. And they will not be available for the game on Sunday. There has been no word from the league. There's no change of status. The game is still Sunday night in Pittsburgh. Brutal. Uh, so, you know, and look, Pittsburgh has had its own issues with the, uh, the coronavirus this year, so they're not going to uh, cry for the Browns, but man, what a tough thing, uh, for Cleveland, uh, in l- lieu of, uh, Stefanski being there, um, their special teams coordinator, Mike Pryfer will be the acting head coach and Alex van Pelt will be the, uh, will be calling the offensive plays, but man, that's just tough. That is tough. Uh, One other quick NFL note, Uh, Nick Casario, the director of player personnel for the New England Patriots, is leaving. He will be going to become the new general manager for the Houston Texans. Now, he he tried to join the Texans a couple of times, and the Patriots blocked his interview, but uh, they no longer can do that. He signed a two-year extension um, last year, and they no longer have the ability— to block his interview with other teams, so he is leaving uh, to go to Houston to be their new GM, and uh, the assistant director player personnel might not be staying with New England either. Uh, Dave Ziegler uh, is going to be interviewing for the GM vacancy in Denver, so uh, a guy that would be the heir apparent to Casario may also be uh, on the way out of New England. So stay tuned, uh, as if you know, as if things haven't been bad enough in New England, right? Uh, and the uh, uh, finalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2021 have come out. Peyton Manning, no surprise, is one of those. Uh, Calvin Johnson's on that list. Charles Woodson. Uh, you know, uh, Richard Seymour, I believe, is on that list, former Patriot. So uh, uh, we'll find out about uh, who makes that here in a couple of months. But uh, Peyton Manning is uh, a virtual lock. So it is uh, forty six minutes past the hour. Gonna take one more break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Wednesday morning. Easy for me to say. Uh, big news in uh, hockey last night. Uh, the United States defeated Canada two to nothing in the gold medal game to upset the Canadians at the World Junior Hockey Championships uh, in Canada. game was played in Edmonton. And uh, a great night for USA Hockey. Spencer Knight, uh, Boston College player, a guy who uh, has been drafted, oh, it was a 2019 draft pick by the Florida Panthers, makes 34 saves in this game as the U.S. wins it 2-0. Uh, Trevor Zegras, a goal and assist, he was named the tournament MVP. Alex Turcott also had a goal for the U.S. Uh, it's the first gold for the U.S. since 2017. Last year in this tournament, uh, the United States finished sixth. Sixth. And this year they lost their opening game to Russia 5-3. And then they won six straight games. Three of those wins were by shutout. And Canada has to settle for uh, a silver medal at their own uh, in their own country. Pretty uh, pretty despondent after the game. By the way, the United States, when playing against Canada uh, for the gold medal at this tournament, they're four and one against the Canadians. So, uh, obviously, very proud American team. And uh, uh, whether it, whether it will uh, translate into uh, to uh, You know, when the Winter Olympics happens to a gold medal at the Olympics, well, you know, we'll see. A lot of that, I think, is going to be dependent on whether NHL players play in the next Winter Olympics or not. Right now, the indication is that is probably not going to happen. So, But it appears that, you know, hey, look, if uh, the United States can use college players, (laughs) pretty good. You know, a lot of people were equating it with the miracle on ice, uh, from uh, Lake Placid. I don't think it's quite that, uh, but uh, still uh, a pretty impressive effort, especially after losing that opening game to Russia. And by the way, Russia lost uh, to Finland in the bronze medal game. Finland won that one 4-1, to one, so uh, Russia leaves that tournament without a medal. Gee, that's a shame. Uh, word out of Red Sox camp is that the Red Sox, according to Mark Feinsand, anyway, uh, the Red Sox have been in contact with Jake Odorizzi's people and are expressing some serious interest in bringing him to Boston as a free agent. Uh, it makes some sense in that Heim Bloom, of course, and this is this is this is part of the worry that a lot of folks had with Heim Bloom. And I'm not saying that this would be a bad move. I'm just saying that you know there's a lot of people worried about you know Boston turning into Tampa Bay North. Um, but Oder 31 years old, he had a tough year last year. Again, you have to pretty much throw out everything that happened last year because of the shortened season. But I mean, he was, he, he only threw like 13 innings. He had an ERA of over six. Um, and he had three different stints on the disabled list between July 23rd until August 8th. Uh, and then again from August 22nd to September 16th. And then the last one came a couple days after that, he missed the rest of the season because he had a blister on his middle finger. I mean, so it was a disaster of a year and you'd like to hope that what's going on is not, you know, he's not going to be an injury waiting to happen, but this is a guy that in 2019 made the all-star team for the first time, uh, pitched uh, to a three, five Oh ERA made 30 starts. um, you know, and Minnesota went twenty-one and nine in games that uh, he started. So, wouldn't necessarily be the worst move. Again, <coughs> excuse me. Not knowing when Chris Sale will be back. You know the injury history uh, with Nate Evaldi, You know, N- e- Erod appears to be ready to go, but we don't know for sure. You know, there are just a lot of question marks with the Red Sox rotation. This guy could, you know, you could plug him in right away as your number four starter, you know, and feel fairly good about it. So, would not be the worst move in the world. Um, The Dodgers yesterday re signed Blake Trinan, former Oakland Athletic closer. Uh, He got a two year deal for $17.5 million. Uh, Look, this is the guy that a couple of years ago when he was with Oakland was perhaps the best reliever in baseball. Um, You know, and there were some injury issues, and um, he had a rough 2019, played well last year, um, and uh, you put him in that back end of the bullpen, and that that makes them very formidable. So uh, Blake Trinan will stay with the Dodgers. Robbie Grossman signed a contract yesterday with the Detroit Tigers. Uh, He gets a two-year deal uh, for $10 million. And uh, the New York Giants, with a small signing yesterday, they uh, signed backup catcher Kurt Casale to a major league deal. Um, What's going to be interesting here, Buster Posey, they're probably going to maybe platoon him a little bit more. Uh, Buster Posey has been playing some first base uh, because he's been getting beat up back there. And they have a pretty good prospect in Joey Bart. Uh, catcher, and they thought that Joey Bart would be a guy that would spend the year uh, with the Giants in the majors, but now with them signing Kurt Caselli, a guy who maybe isn't the best defensive catcher in the world but has some offensive skills, um, not sure what will happen there. Uh, But uh, Joey Bart, you know, whether they'll try – you know, look, and that's a guy with catching being as bad as it is around the major leagues, if they decide that they're ready to move Joey Bart, you know, you could probably get a good piece. Uh, or two, uh, for the, uh, young promising catcher in your system. So we'll see. Um, one last thing this morning, Tommy Lasorda is out of the hospital. Glad to, glad to see that. Um, he had been in the hospital since November 8th because of heart issues. Um, had went through rehab in the hospital. He is, uh, 90, I think he's 95 years old, 94 years old. So, uh, good to hear that uh, he's out of the hospital and uh you know apparently doing well speaking of in the hospital Larry King uh legend at CNN legendary broadcaster and interviewer uh has COVID and he's been in the hospital for the last week or 10 days so uh another guy that uh uh has had a lot of health issues in his life just as Tommy Lasorda did as well with the uh, heart issues and stuff so uh uh, keeping my fingers crossed that uh, Larry King makes it through and the coronavirus doesn't uh, get another one. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of The Wake Up Call. We leave you this morning with some music from Hank Williams Jr., Man to Man. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.